0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to the show, Shane Melanson.
1: Thank you, Victor. Uh, Glad to be here.
0: Great to have you here. Now, Shane, you're in a bunch of different asset classes. You are actively raising capital for multifamily and all kinds of different projects, and you've been at this a while, but I want to focus today on something that's been kind of interesting and I think very topical. But before we get to that particular project, let's talk a little bit about your backstory and how you got into this particular area of real estate investing.
1: I grew up in a small town, Wacord, Alberta, which is about five hours kind of northwest of Calgary. And both my parents were teachers. So I wasn't really born into the world of investing or real estate. A few kind of early experiences, seeing my parents lose a significant amount of money in the wrong investment. I myself invested in that. It really kind of put me on a path to study the wealthy and really kind of learn how people were investing. I started off, probably like most people, fixing and flipping houses. Eventually got a job at Sun Life Financial, learned commercial debt and finance, and started to kind of learn about the world of syndications there. At that point, I was introduced to my wife at a golf tournament. Uh, We started dating. She introduced me to her father, uh, who's a big-time real estate developer uh, here in Canada as well as in the U.S., he was seeing what I was doing in the residential world. And he said, "You know, if you want to take this more seriously, come on a trip with me. We're going to go to Houston. We're going to go down to Palm Springs, show you some of the deals I'm doing. And from that point, I was very much intrigued and hooked. And I essentially left my job at Sun Life to pursue doing larger multifamily retail industrial deals. Certainly the the mobile home park that we did out in Ontario, we'll probably touch on. And that's kind of the two minute version. Obviously we can Go deeper, but uh.
0: perfect. I love that. Well, you mentioned the mobile home park project. Maybe why don't you give us the backstory on that one as well? I think it ties into our current circumstance today. Something that is, I think, a very real market opportunity for those who choose to take advantage of it. I think the market opportunity is part of what that new normal that people are keep talking about. What is that new normal? Yeah, it's not clear necessarily, but there are some hints out there that suggest what the new normal might be for at least a period of time.
1: Yeah. We ended up, this is going back to 2011, and we found two off market. Now I I use the word mobile home parks. They're really seasonal land lease communities. So the biggest way to kind of differentiate the two, uh, at least from our perspective, was a land lease community seasonal meant that people had the choice to go there. And this was in Muskoka, so just about an hour and a half north of Toronto. So it was discretionary money, like what we talked about just before recording, right? The fact that RV sales are up. I didn't realize that, but it makes sense because you've got people now that are looking for different places to vacation and and kind of have fun, escape the city. And that was one of our big features, if you will, right? To get people from Toronto, we tried a million different things. Uh, Not a million, but we tried 20 or 50 different things. We would eventually give away gas cards, To get people up to the resort because we knew once we got someone to the resort, they would think this is incredible. But when you think mobile home park, that brings up certain images in a person's mind. And this was a very, very much a a different experience, right? We had built about a $750,000 clubhouse. Uh, We put in a kids' pool, splash pad, park. They were fully serviced, obviously serviced in the sense of of a a mobile home community. Some of the actual cottages, that was another thing. We didn't call them mobile homes. We called them cottages. And a person could essentially get into that for about $60,000. And our positioning was against timeshares or condos, because we knew that if someone was going to buy a house, they're probably not coming to us. But if you've got 60 to $100,000, you might be interested in this type of lifestyle. You could be up there the entire uh, we were open six months out of the year. We developed a rental program so that when you weren 't there, you could generate extra money. There was no such thing as Airbnb back then, but today i 'm sure that that would just be uh, even more of a compelling reason I think to to invest. You know the first eighteen months we struggled in the sense of getting people to commit and purchase. But once we got that sweet spot of the price point the marketing and the right demographic that was going to invest there. uh, We were selling 50 a year on a, on a fairly modest budget.
0: Wow. I love that. Well, we're at a point in time today where people have been locked up for six, eight, 12 weeks. They're starting to go a little bit stir crazy and looking for a getaway. They're not going to board an aircraft and go to an all-inclusive resort on an Island but they are looking for a getaway. They're looking for something that's driving distance, something where there's going to be a little bit of social isolation. It could be a cabin on the lake. It could be a chalet in the mountains, something that's going to give them a bit of that social distancing, but it's still going to be a good quality getaway. I think Airbnbs in the right location are going to do extremely well this year. Uh, Like we talked about before the recording started, RV sales and boat sales, both have gone through the roof this year. If someone was looking to Pick up a distressed property, a distressed mobile home park, or distressed RV park, in a good location that had potential. What kind of amenities would you put in place, and how would you approach a project like that? Given that you have experience having developed a couple of these already,
1: yeah, that that that's a good question. I think uh, the first question is is essentially who is your market, right? Are you going after the baby boomers? Are you going after families with younger kids? That is really going to dictate the type of amenities that you put in there. Now, what we found was definitely a splash pad, a pool, something where kids can go. I think regardless, because you've got, let's say the grandparents that are gonna have their grandkids there, or you've got families coming up to visit. So that was always busy, always full. It was one of the first things any of the people renting or purchasing wanted to see. One of our properties was on 1100 acres and had a 200 acre freshwater lake right in the middle. And so obviously, I mean, that sounds big, but you know, there was no boats on it. It was mainly, you know, canoes and, and people could go out on paddle boards. So water is always, I think, a main attractor. So from an amenities perspective, if you've got water there, that's great. If you've got golf nearby, certainly we didn't have a golf course on our property, but one was five minutes away. I'd say those are some of the amenities that I would focus on. We developed the clubhouse, which was nice. It acted as a sales center. I think a big part of it is what's your budget and how big of a deal or development are you doing? I mean, the 53-acre property that we developed first, that required a fairly significant capital budget of about $2 million just to put in just a front end some of those amenities knowing what I know, I don't know if I would do that right now. I think you could probably sell some on plans. I don't think you want to give away all your waterfront, which is what we did initially. So there's lots of lessons that can kind of be learned, but I think most of these properties are mom and pop. And so understanding the infrastructure in the ground and how much that is actually going to cost to replace or upgrade if need be would be probably the first thing I would verify. Because if you go in thinking it's going to be 5000 a site to service or upgrade, and it turns out to be 12000 uh, all of a sudden your budget can, uh, can quickly get out of hand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you're developing a property like this, the other piece of infrastructure, of course, is electricity. RVs typically want 30 to 50 amp service. If you're looking at mobile homes or anything like that, often the utility is going to require you to have 200 amp service, which for many of these pre-existing properties will be a significant upgrade. They simply don't have the infrastructure to do that so it's a rip up and a reinstallation of the entire electrical infrastructure what are your thoughts on the properties that you've looked at
1: most of the properties are going to be antiquated is probably the nice way of putting it where they probably don't have three phase coming in whether you call it shallow or deep services i kind of looked at the sh- the shallow services as a little bit less of a. Th- that's a much easier number to quantify what we found was when you start upgrading your water systems and who's going to be uh, required to monitor those systems? because if you're on a private water well, then you need someone that is that understands it, has done the testing, knows what to look for, because you're responsible for people's uh, health and safety out there. And so I think that is uh, that's critical and making sure you've got enough water flow. Where are you tapping into? Do you have the rights to do that? When you're getting into these types of developments, uh, you really can't take anything for granted. So surrounding yourself with consultants that have done what it is that you need. Like I, I'm i not the expert, right? I basically surrounded myself with experts, fortunate enough to know what questions to ask them and then verifying and keeping track of everyone. But uh, yeah, water, sewer and sanitary, those were some of our biggest expenses. At Bonnie Lake, for example, one of the resorts we had, that was really in the Canadian Shield. And so when you think about uh, servicing a site going through the shield, it almost doubled what our budget was. And so now you've got to start looking at, to your point, electrical lines that now have to, instead of going through rock, you're putting, I, I can't remember the term, but basically you're just kind of putting like concrete over it and you're going above ground because otherwise it was uh, prohibitive to service these sites.
0: Yeah. So Canadian shield is just this very solid rock structure that goes for miles. So, so do you still own these properties or no? No, uh, we sold out in 2014,
1: beginning of 2015. And what's interesting is um, on the smaller scale, there's multiple buyers. But once you start getting into $15, $20 million and, and above, there's really not that many players that are in the market to be able to A, purchase these type of properties. And one of the challenges that we ran into, I'm sure you're familiar with this, when you're starting to do development and your cash flow isn't there, it's far more challenging to get construction financing or any type of financing, especially like banks understand doing a ground up multifamily, but take a bank, a seasonal land lease community where you've got three different business lines, selling cottages, rentals, and then the obviously the ongoing fees. It was a very big educational lesson for a lot of lenders. And so essentially we had to self-finance. And that was one of the probably biggest lessons coming out of that, uh, having to go back to our investors to be able to capitalize the project. Now it was a a big success, but when you're raising money at 10 to 12% versus going to the bank at 4%, 6%, whatever it happens to be, it chews into your profits quickly.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So are you getting continued deal flow in that space? And if so, what's your source of properties?
1: A lot of these are going to be direct to the seller, right? That that's what we did. We basically met and made connections with owners of these properties that have been there for 20, 25 years. So it's like, okay, here are the five parks in Muskoka. Right. Go knock on the doors, meet them, go for coffee, walk the properties. It's very different than when you're buying an apartment building or a piece of land from say a broker, right? I mean, that, that that has a very kind of clear process. Whereas when you're buying a seasonal land lease community, for example, or even a mobile home park, you might be doing a share sale versus an asset sale, which are very different. I had to learn all about that. What's interesting is the negotiations. I mean, we had vendor take back mortgages. We actually accepted in one of the owners as a limited partner. They came back on to help operate. So in terms of a creative way to do a deal, this may appeal to, to some listeners in, in the sense that, okay, maybe I don't have enough capital to be able to do a 5 or $10 million deal on my own. I'm able to raise some equity. I give the seller what they want, right? They, they no longer want or can maybe afford to upgrade the property, in, in terms of getting it to a level that is compliant or attractive to owners. And so going in and having a bit of a open mind in terms of how to structure that deal, uh, we found to be quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, some of these meetings went on for three, four months, uh, because you can imagine when you're asking for a $2.5 million VTB on 1,100 acres with many unknowns, how do you structure that deal? And I remember distinctly sitting in a boardroom with my father-in-law and I and the seller, a very shrewd uh, individual. And we were at a standstill because we really could not get our head wrapped around how to do, how to structure this VTB. Essentially what we did is we cut the park in half and said, we're going to put half of the VTB up here and half of it down here. And he said, okay, so what you're asking for is an option on the, on the South land. He's like, well, I guess if that's the way you want to look at it, yeah, it's, you could call it an option. Now we had to pay some, a nominal interest rate on it, but our biggest question was if we can't develop on the South land, then is it really worth the number that we're paying for it? And so, uh, anyways, I mean, these, these are just kind of the, the different strategies and, and things that come about. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with people that are sophisticated, You've just got to have many different tools in your tool belt to be able to navigate uh, those negotiations.
0: I love that. Well, as you as you may know, I have developed a mobile home park and an RV park and done it with our own captive municipal grade water supply and our own captive municipal grade uh, sewage treatment plant and all of the rest. So all of these off-grid things that you've talked about, uh, we have direct firsthand experience with. And it's not simple. There's a lot of regulations to meet. And absolutely, it's something that's a, an issue. It's something that it demands ongoing attention and maintenance. But even with that, uh, we, we love being in that business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a lot of unknowns and variables, which is maybe, and, and I, it, let, let's face it, it's not quite as sexy to say that you own a mobile home park versus an apartment building or an office building. But I can tell you the people that generally own those mobile home parks do very well. And they don't like to sell them unless there's like a real need or desire to do something else with it.
0: Well, Shane, if folks want to learn more, if they want to get in touch, what's the best way? You know, the best way is just
1: my website, Shane Melanson, M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N.com.
0: And you can check out any of the resources uh, there. Fantastic. Well, for the listeners at home, Definitely reach out to Shane and connect with him at shanemelanson.com, S H A N E M E L A N S O N.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.